This is T.M. Camp, and you're listening to the podcast edition of my novel, Assam and Darjeeling. Book One, Exiles. Chapter Eight, The Boatman's Call. They stood in the mud at the top of a steep hill. Below them, the ghosts gathered at the edge of a wide river, whispering. The river was muddy, the current sluggish, barely moving at all. The girl looked back to the door as it closed behind them. It stood alone, propped up against the air, nothing else around it, no wall, no building. The hospital was gone. Stretching away beyond the door was a vast expanse of featureless mud. The sky overhead was cast in a dull yellow light, and there was no sun. Trash lay strewn all around them and scattered down the face of the hill. Rotting cardboard boxes, broken bottles, plastic bags. The skeletal, prehistoric remains of a rusted shopping cart poked out of the dark mud near the bottom of the hill old newspapers fluttering between its teeth. The girl nudged an old television set with the toe of her boot, tipping it up and tumbling down the bank to the river where, with a muffled splash, it sank beneath the muddy waters. Knock it off, her brother said. Where are we? He ignored her, staring down to the river. Listen. She listened. It was quiet, but for the sound of the waters. The ghosts gathered in a group near an old pier of rotting, splintered wood. Silent, they watched the river. They did not even whisper anymore. What is it? She didn't hear anything. Then, a low sound ringing out in the silence. A bell chime like the tolling of a grandfather clock. It fell away again, the echo fading. Then the bell, the clock, whatever it was, tolled again. Below them, at the river's edge, the ghosts began to murmur once more. We should go, the boy said, turning to her and taking her arm. We're not supposed to be here. Come on. He turned back to the door and stopped. There was no knob on this side. His sister pulled her arm away. Can't go back, I guess. He put his fingers into the crack and pulled between the edge of the door and the wooden frame. The door didn't budge. The bell tolled again. The boy walked around the door and tried to push it open from the other side. His sister followed watching him puff and grunt as his feet slid in the damp mud. She said his name once, quietly. The bell tolled again. We're not going back, she told him. We have to find her. We have to bring her back. She needs us. He put his head against the rough wood of the door. He needs us. Dad needs us. We should go back. She did not kick him, 
those she wanted to. He needs all of us back, not just you and me. She was not crying, but just barely. We need to bring Mommy back. He would not look at her. The bell tolled. She's so far away now. I can barely feel her anymore. I don't know if I can find her. We can find her, his sister said. We have to. The boy nodded, giving up on the door. They went back around to the other side. Down below, the ghosts milled about and murmured at the water's edge. Look! The girl raised her hand and pointed out over the river. A boat was coming. Not a boat, really, more of a canoe. Long and thin it came, cutting across the river towards the old pier. At the back of the boat stood a man, dipping into the dark water with a long pole, pushing the boat forward. Come on, her brother said. They slowly picked their way down the slippery mud to the bottom of the bank, where they stood and waited with all the other ghosts. The boat wrapped hollowly against the rotting wood of the dock as the boatman guided his craft in. He looped a length of rope over one of the posts and stepped out onto the rough wood planking. He was very tall and pale. He held a clipboard with a stack of papers pinned to it. Reaching into a pocket of his suit, he set a thin pair of wire spectacles on his nose. He flipped open a few pages on his clipboard, looked out at the crowd of passengers. He consulted his pages again, pushed his glasses back up on his nose with one finger. He gazed out over the crowd, blinking behind his smudged lenses, and nodded. One by one, the line of ghosts moved forward. They each handed the boatman their golden coin, which he dropped into a small canvas sack making a notation on his clipboard each time. The ghosts waited patiently for their turn as the boatman bobbed his head from passenger to clipboard to coin, snatching up and dropping the coins into his bag with a quick bird-like movement. As each one paid, he politely stepped aside to allow the ghost to walk up the pier and take a seat on the boat. The line inched forward, the boy and girl lingering at the back. The girl was impatient. Her brother could feel it. She sighed once, loudly, when the boatman paused to double-check his clipboard. The boy put his hand on her shoulder and squeezed a warning. She sighed again, louder. For his part, the boy watched the proceedings, his worry growing by the minute. A few years back, his father had given him a book of stories from mythology. Tales of Heroes and Gods and Battles. He'd read the book over and over again for months, practically every night before bedtime and sometimes after when he was supposed to be asleep. In the book, there were stories of heroes who had undertaken epic quests. Sometimes they went to the underworld. Watching the boatman take his fares, the boy began to understand what he was seeing, and it made him worried. They were near the front now, just one last ghost ahead of them. The last ghost paid, and the boatman turned to let him pass. He turned back, his beaky nose just inches away from his clipboard.
Excuse me, the girl said. The boatman looked up at the, from his notes, did a double take. He glanced to the ghost sitting patiently in the long boat, then back to the children, and then down to the clipboard. He riffled through the sheaf of papers, muttering to himself. He looked at the children and, without taking his eyes off of them, took a large portable phone about the size of a brick from his coat pocket. He dialed a number and held the phone up to his ear. It's Charles, he said. Would you please connect me with dispatch? The boy opened his mouth to say something, but the man raised one finger in the air to silence him. Yes, who's this? Many, this is Charles. Yes. Yes, hey, shut up and listen for a minute. I'm collecting the 617 right now, but it looks like there's been a mix-up. An overage. Yes, again. I don't know, but the manifest says 21, but I've got extras. He listened for a moment, keeping his eyes on the children. Only two, actually. Well, I have the seats, but... But that's not the point. He listened again, longer this time. Fair enough, he said. But you're the one who'll need to handle the paperwork. Can you shoot someone in receiving a quick note and let them know what's going on? I'll file the revision before I punch out. Well, thank you kindly. He hung up the phone and stuffed it back into his pocket, muttering, You'd think they would have gotten the hang of this by now. He turned back to the children and raised his eyebrows expectantly. They stared back at him. What? the girl asked after a moment. The man rolled his eyes and sighed. Names? Henry Beauregard, the boy said quickly. It was, of course, not his real name. His sister turned to stare at him while the boatman scribbled something on his clipboard. He looked up at the girl, pen raised. Oh, um, Henrietta Beauregard. The boy groaned inwardly, watching with relief as the boatman scribbled another note without it giving any sign or notice of the odd similarity between their names. The boatman put his pen away and tucked the clipboard under his arm. He raised his eyebrows again. What? the girl asked. The man raised his hand, palm up. What? the girl said again. She wondered if she should give him a high five. He shook the canvas sack in his other hand, a dull clink of coins inside. Oh, the girl said. Uh, I lost mine. We both did. She looked to her brother for validation. Didn't we, Henry? That's right, he said. We slipped in the mud up there and, and they sank. But the boatman already had his phone out, dialing. Dispatch, please. He stared at the children with considerable irritation. Many, Charles again. Cancel the overage. We won't need the vouchers. Yes, well, I'm sorry about that. I'll straighten it out with them once I get back. No, I'll be leaving momentarily with the original 21. No addition. This last bit was directed straight at the boy and his sister. The boy interrupted. But you have to let us come. We're... 
The man snapped his fingers, silencing the boy. Minnie, hang on for a second. He took the phone away from his ear. Do you, either of you, have the obolus for the passage? The what for the what? the girl asked. Payment, the boatman clenched his teeth. For the trip. She shook her head. The boatman nodded, looked to her brother. The boy shook his head. You don't belong here, children, he told them, not unkindly. But we're looking for... The boy choked on the words. We're looking for our mom, his sister finished for him. The boatman closed his eyes, pushed his spectacles up on his forehead, and pinched the bridge of his nose between his thumb and forefinger. While I appreciate that, he said wearily, the fact still remains that you have no obulus, no payment for your passage, and so I am forced to assume that you are not, in fact, dead. I'm dead, the girl said quickly. I'm really quite dead. See? She pinched her arm. Can't even feel it. I have, he said after a moment, been engaged in my current activity for over 9,000 years. I'm exceedingly good at it. He leaned forward until he was nearly nose to nose with her. Do you really think you can fool me, Missy? The girl backed up, shaking her head. She didn't like much being called Missy, but he had a point. Her brother spoke up defiant. That doesn't matter. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes people can go on the boat, even when they're not dead. The boatman straightened up to stare at the boy, all eyebrows and irritation. Indeed. The boy would not back down. Yes, I've read the stories. I know how it works. Do you now? The boatman seemed irritated and amused at the same time. And what stories would these be? Orpheus. Yeah, his sister chimed in. What about Orifice? Her brother elbowed her in the shoulder. She elbowed him back. The boatman almost smiled. Almost but he'd been doing this far too long to be amused by the audacity of the living. Yes, Master Beauregard, he said. You are correct that others have passed this way, most notably young Orpheus, but he had some godblood in him, which helped things along more than a little bit, and he was respectful enough to pay for his passage, as you might recall. He sang a song, the boy answered. He sang a song and made the boatman cry. Well, the man said archly, don't believe everything you read. But yes, he did sing. He looked at the children, waiting. Do either of you sing? The boy shook his head slowly. His sister piped up in his defense. He's learning how to play Pop Goes the Weasel on the piano. The boatman seemed less than impressed. Not exactly a tune to make the Furies weep, now is it? He's good, she countered. He's been taking lessons. The man leaned down. 
And do you or your brother possibly have a piano concealed somewhere about your person so that I can bear witness to his virtuosity? While she didn't exactly understand all of the words he said, the girl got the gist of them well enough. She shook her head. Well then, the boatman straightened up. This has been very nearly entertaining, but I can't help, so you run along. The girl kicked him hard in the shins. The man's face twisted as he grabbed his leg, rubbing it. He rose to his full height, which was very tall indeed, casting a long shadow across her. She stared back up at him, defiant. He held her gaze, and she held his. After a long moment, he raised the phone again and said, Many, are you still there? He nodded. Sorry about that. I'll be on my way momentarily. Oh, and let someone in marketing know that I'd like to have a word or two with them. Thank you. He hung up and put away his phone. No, he said to the boy, you cannot pass this way. Toddle off back to your body and take her with you. He smiled coldly at them both. Grow up, children. Grow fat and grow old and die, but don't come back this way any time soon if you can help it. But if you must, he said, don't forget the proper payment. He turned away from them before the girl had a chance to kick again and strode up the long pier to his boat. He untied the rope and stepped into the prow. He took up the long pole and leaned on it, addressing his passengers. Ladies and gentlemen, he intoned, I apologize for the delay and I thank you for your patience. We will be underway shortly. Please keep your hands and arms inside the boat at all times. We realize you have a choice of passage and we thank you for choosing our pantheon. He dipped the long pole in the, the water, pushing off from the dock. Our journey will take approximately 40 days and 40 nights, with stops in Gehenom and the Vale of Tears before we reach our final destination in Night City, with further connections at points westward for those of you who qualify. He leaned on his boat, pushing it out into the current. He repeated the speech in Spanish, which the boy recognized, followed by two other languages, which he did not. As the children watched, the boatman guided his craft out into the center of the river, and soon it was out of sight. You've been listening to Assam and Darjeeling, written and performed by T.M. Camp. A new chapter from the book is available each week, free to download at the iTunes Store. To find out more about Assam and Darjeeling, to read my weblog, or to send me your questions and feedback, visit my website at www.tmcamp.com. I hope to hear from you. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you soon.
This podcast was written, performed, and produced by T.M. Camp and may not be copied, distributed, transcribed, or otherwise reproduced without his express written permission. Failure to comply is a violation of international copyright law and will slowly chip away at your soul bit by bit over the years until there is nothing left but a pile of pale pink shards that might once have been, long ago, something beautiful. And then, what will you do with yourself? Unless otherwise noted, all contents of this production are copyright 2007. P.M. Camp. All rights reserved. So there. <laughs>